0: Thank you so much, Priest Man. I invite you to open your Bible today. Do you have your copy of God's Word? I hope that you do. And you'll open it or turn it on and find with me the book of Acts. That's where we've been for the last few Sundays. And we're going to stay here for a while and uh, camp in the book of Acts together. It is one of the most exhilarating books in all of the Bible. It is unlike almost any other book in the Bible. It gives us information It's found nowhere else in the Bible. He gives us a picture of what the early church looked like in the Word of God. And so I encourage you to look with me there. One of the things that Billy Graham said, and uh, uh, when he would preach, he would always say, and the Bible says, and the Bible says. You can just hear it. And he just would repeat that, and the Bible says, because that was his authority, and the Bible says. Some liberal critics of Billy Graham's preaching, other church uh, pastors and professor types, said, Billy, if you keep preaching like that, you're just going to set the church back 200 years. And he said, I don't want to set it back 200 years. I want to set it back 2,000 years. So we might be living and doing what the Word of God has to say. Amen? Well, let's... uh, Let's look into God's Word and see uh, just a great story here today. Now look with me, verse chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up together in the temple complex at the hour of prayer at 3 in the afternoon, and a man who was lame from his mother's womb was carried there and placed every day at the temple gate called Beautiful. So he would beg from those entering the temple complex And when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple complex, he asked for help. Peter, along with John, looked at him intently and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I have neither silver nor gold, but what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up, stood, and started to walk. He entered the temple complex with him walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple complex. And they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. Father, bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. In Acts chapter number 2, the Bible tells us that there were many signs and wonders accomplished at the hands of the apostles. And that God was using them powerfully, the Spirit of God had fallen upon the church, and they had been baptized with the Spirit, they were filled with the Spirit of God, and the church was coexisting with Judaism at this time. While there, was, there, were, while there were critics and there was tension, there was not strenuous opposition and persecution yet, but it's coming. And these, this miracle that we're looking at today is one of the things that helped precipitate this outpouring of persecution that led to the dispersion which led to the gospel really being sh- taken around the world. It's a story, it's masterfully told by uh, Dr. Luke in, uh, as in this book of Acts, and he tells this story it's a real life thing that happened, but it's a lesson in story, it's almost like an enacted parable. It's a teaching for us to learn from in the story of what happened to this man. As we look at the characters in the story, you'll identify them. First of all, there's Peter and John, the apostles. And then you see this lame man and his family and friends that bring him to the temple complex and place him there. And then you see the crowd of people that are passing by and then the crowd of people that are in the temple complex. And so as we look at this story, we look at what happened with this man. I want to say one thing about it. I believe that God still does miracles in people's lives. God is, when God decides to work a miracle, he does it at his own working. And you might be a scientific, and that's great. And I thank God for science. The reason science works is there's natural laws and natural order created by Almighty God. But there are certain things that happen that are outside of natural order and natural law. And let me just say something. The God who made natural law can decide when to interrupt it at his will. Amen? And so we see here this great story. The other thing about this story is Christianity, folks, is not a dead religion. It's an alive one. Amen? It is not just about facts and doctrine and truth and theology. It's not abstract thought about life. It is ha- real life. It deals with our, it reminds us that Jesus is alive. And the church of Jesus Christ is not to be born, but be on fire and alive with the gospel of Jesus Christ, filled with the Spirit of God. Amen. I heard about a little town, there was a fire at the church, and and so Two of the church members were up there with a crowd of people, and the church was on fire. And the guy standing there looking at it, turned and looked, and he saw a man they knew. He said, Frank, I haven't seen you at church in five years. He said, well, it's the first time it's been on fire. And so uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of churches that aren't on fire. And God has called us to live alive and be filled with His Spirit. Amen. Amen. With the church, there should be life and vigor and transformation. Disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit facing a world in its brokenness. We don't exist just to praise and just to fellowship and just to rejoice and just to comfort one another. We also exist to bring the gospel of hope to a lost and dying world. And that's the power of the transformation that only Jesus can bring. So the first thing I want us to look at is the disciples' commitment. Now Peter and John were going up together in the temple complex. It was the hour of prayer about three in the afternoon. So it's Peter and John going up together. I think that's interesting. We see this partnership and fellowship between Peter and John. Peter and John were really different kind of disciples. They had different strengths and different weaknesses in their own life and uh, these men were, were uh, headed together and it says they were headed up the bible says look it says they were going up together why are you going up because if you understand how where jerusalem sits on mount zion that it's it has three valleys that surround this temple mount and uh, the, there's the Kidron Valley, there's the uh, G- Valley of Gehenna, and then there's the Tyropian Valley. And these three valleys uh, surround the, the, uh, the, the S- Jerusalem itself. And so when you go up into Jerusalem, you had to climb up out of those ravines, those valleys, and go ascend to the Temple Mount which was an upward trek, and then climbing multiple stairs to get up into the temple complex. And so they were on their way. It was Peter and John together, and it's about the ninth hour, the Bible says. That's about three in the afternoon. It was the time for the evening sacrifice. It was an hour of prayer, and here we see Peter and John together. These two men were different. Yet God had called both of them. They were both fishermen, but one was more impulsive and the other was more contemplative. One was more, uh, he was just out there. He was, he was, uh, Peter was like that. He just kind of like a bull in a china shop sometimes. He just rushes in. But John gives more thought and more mystical to his thinking. John Phillips says Peter was a doer. John was a dreamer. Peter was a motivator. John was a mystic. Peter had his feet on the rock. John had his in the clouds. And, uh, and, uh, but together, these two men are brothers and knit together in the, this gospel ministry. And so we look at it. They make their way. They're on their way. And uh, they're devoted. They're devoted to what? They're devoted... The Bible says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And so they were devoted. Verse 46. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and humble attitude. So they were devoted. They had a commitment to worshiping God, knowing God. Three things I want to say about that. First of all, they were disciplined in their dedication. They took their faith seriously, their walk with the Lord, and they they had a continued dependence on the Lord. They wanted to come to the Lord in the evening sacrifice. And there, remember, and by the way, at 3 o'clock, 3 o'clock is when our Savior gave up the ghost and died, just outside the temple complex at Calvary. And when they would contemplate the sacrifice that was made in the evening, they couldn't help but think about the sacrifice of Jesus' atoning death on the cross for their sin. And they opened their heart to pray with others to Almighty God. They knew that they were dependent on Him, and they couldn't do this ministry God had given them without God's power, and they couldn't live the Christian life without God's power, and they devoted themselves Not only to worship, but prayer and seeking God in their life. Personal devotion in their life. A personal walk with Jesus Christ. Amen. The lame man. I want us to look at him. The lame man's condition. And a man who was lame, how long? From birth. From his mother's womb, the Bible says. He was carried and placed every day at the temple gate called Beautiful So he could beg to those entering the complex. Notice the real tragedy of his life. He's been born lame. He's never known how to walk. This man is about 40 years old, we're told in chapter number 4. And so now he's 40 years old. He's never walked a day in his life. And he depends on others every day to help take care of him to take him to where he needs to go. He's dependent on others' generosity and compassion and and feeling sorry for him. He, he, He was burdened. He was a burden to other people. And some people would say about him, was it because of sin in his life or sin in his parents' life? Or because God doesn't love him, that's the reason he was born this way? And that was, those were some of the thoughts in first century thinking. And so he bore the shame of that on him as well. He's disabled, and he was called a sinner, and he was a burden, and he was a beggar. And he didn't have full access to the temple. It was a serious defect in his life. Leviticus chapter 21 tells us, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron, no man of your descendants, in succeeding generation who has any defect may approach and offer the bread of God. For any man who has a defect shall not approach a man blind or lame or has a marred face or his limbs do not work properly or a skin disease. He cannot approach me. Wow. This man never knew. He never knew the joys that most young men would know. There was a sadness and a burden in his life. Not only that, a serious defect, but a very sad dependence. He depended on everyone. He was taken to the gate. It was called beautiful. Most scholars believe that this is Nicanor, the Nicanor gate, When you come inside the temple complex, first, there's the court of Gentiles. And in the court of Gentiles, even Gentiles could be there in that part of the temple complex. And so then there's a a section that is the court of women And, uh, and the court of Gentiles and the court of women. And there's nine gates that led past this partition. And it's called the middle wall of partition. And these nine gates gave you access into the place of worship. There were huge signs. No Gentiles can enter beyond this point. Or they'll have death or punishment. And so this man was outside of this gate. It was... Covered, it was called beautiful gate because it was covered in Corinthian bronze and gilded with silver and gold, and it was an absolutely beautiful gate. And he had a plan. His desire, his sole desire, really was to get alms from others, and so that was his desire. He just sat outside the gate. Gate. He had his hat on the ground, or his, or his bucket, or his bowl. And he was begging for alms. And it was strategic, certainly, because who's going to be more likely to give? People on their way to worship God or people leaving from worshiping God. Their hearts are more sympathetic. And so he's asking and praying and hoping to receive enough money to help support himself. And so he was helpless. This man is a picture of all of us. Stay with me this morning. It's a picture of all of us. Because every one of us have been maimed by sin. All of us have been disabled from birth. All of us were born in our trespasses and sins. And we're dead by them. Psalm 51 says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Aren't we all sinful? Would you all agree with me? We're all sinful. Look at the people around you in this room. Good people, sinful people, all of us. Amen? Look at the pastor. Sinful person, too. We all need God's forgiveness and grace and healing in our life. Folks, even little children are sinful. You know what the most amazing thing was? When our little babies came into our life, it didn't take me too long to figure out they wanted to exert their will against our authority. It wasn't surely just the preacher's kids that had this problem. (laughs) Somebody said, why are preacher's kids so notoriously unruly? And I said, because they hang out with deacons, kids. That's the problem. (laughs) That rebellion is in all of us. The sin in all of us. And that's why we all need a Savior. You're not born with a clean, clean slate. There's sin nature in all of us. Because the first man and the first woman rebelled and sinned against holy God. And sin came into this whole world. And all of their children and descendants have sin in them. And they indeed also sin themselves. And so we're all sinners by nature and by behavior. And it brings spiritual death and paralysis and lameness into our own life. Third, notice the disciples' perception. As the disciples are going along, Peter, along with John, he looked at him, and he intently said to this man, now here's the man begging on the side of the road, and outside the gate in the temple complex, and he said, look at us. Now, there's a large crowd of people. He said, look at us. Sometimes when people beg, they just keep their heads down and they don't even look up. Sometimes, You're looking for who might be able to, and if you could make eye contact with somebody, they might give you something. And so he might have been looking around at others. But Peter says, speaking for him and John, look at us. Look at us with intensity. And so he says, I I, I see you. I care about you. Look at us. The disciples just didn't pass by him. Sometimes we're so tempted to just pass by or throw a coin or two somebody's way, but instead of really meet the deepest need in their life. Notice this about Peter and John. Number one, they saw him. Number two, they cared about him. And number three, they engaged him. If you don't care about people in their brokenness and their pain and their lostness, You'll never do anything about it. Jesus tells the story. Remember when the lawyer asked Jesus? He said, and who is my neighbor? Jesus tells the story, didn't he? You remember it? He said, a certain man was going from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he fell among thieves, and they beat him, and they stole from him, and they left him half dead. And then he said, A certain what? Priest came by. And he saw him. But what did he do? He moved to the other side. And a certain Levite came along. And he saw him. And what did he do? He moved to the other side. But a certain Samaritan. The Jews hated Samaritans. Came by. And he saw him. And he felt compassion for him. And he went to him. And he bandaged him and he anointed him, and he put him on his own beast, and he took him to an inn where he could be cared for, and he invested money in him, and time, and care. The whole difference between the Samaritan and the priest and the Levite is all three of them saw him, but only the Samaritan had compassion for him. We won't care much for people, and we won't engage people, if we don't care about him, and if we don't feel compassion for him. And so Peter and John, they care about this man, and they see him, and they say, look at us, because they want to give him something beyond just alms. They want to give him something more. Now what did this man expect? Notice the lame man's expectation. What did he expect of Peter and John? Money alms, that means money. Now, this helps me understand right here that they're most likely Peter and John are Baptists. Because silver and gold have we none. But honestly, look at it, people expect the wrong things often. They want, they think they know what they want, But God wants to do something so much more in their life. You know, people expect the wrong things from the church. What does the world have to offer a man that's paralyzed? The man who's broken in his sin, the man is lost, what can the world give him? You might give him some sympathy. You might listen to him. You might give him some counsel. You might give him and entertain him with some activity. You might entertain him through some movies or plays or dramas or books. And maybe it takes his mind off as his hurting, but as soon as the movie is over, he's back to living his life. He might try to dull the pain by drinking alcohol, but that isn't gonna change your life. You're still gonna be lonely and hurt and broken inside. You can offer self-helps and you can offer pop psychology and support groups, but that won't change you. And some churches get off mission themselves. And they think that what you do, need to do is just moral teaching from this book. And just teach certain moral principles and ideas. And some people, the church is all about the music or the art or about entertainment or about putting on a show. And you go to some churches and it's just a positive message about having a positive attitude in this life. But that will never change you. And you can preach psychology and tell stories that warm and entertain the heart, but it won't change a man who's broken in need of Jesus Christ. And what we don't need any more of in the church is, is politics and politics. And, and and taking positions on this thing or that thing, and be an advocate for this or that. What we need is the church of Jesus Christ aflame and in love with Jesus, and telling others about Jesus and proclaiming the gospel to a broken and lost world. Folks, we, let's don't give alms. Let's give Jesus to this broken world the world will give alms let's give jesus so the disciples peter and john said look at me and they intently says look at us don't look somewhere else and peter said silver and gold we don't have but what we have next slide please what we have this he says Silver and gold, he says, his explanation, the extension of what he's going to give. I don't have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. He said, I've got something more to give you than just an arm. I've got something more to give you than just money. I've got something more to give you than just putting a band-aid on your situation. I'm going to tell you about the power of God that is right here. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have to give to you in the name of by the authority and the character and who Jesus is in the name of Jesus, Messiah, Jesus the Christ. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he says. You remember they used to make fun of Jesus. Check and see, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. The Bible says that the Messiah comes from Nazareth. Wow. And you know what? He says, this one that you look down on, this one that you disdained, this one that people rejected, he is now the cornerstone. This Jesus from Nazareth that you look down on, I'm telling you what, his power can change your life. Wow. In the name of Jesus of Nazarene, get up and walk. He reaches out his hand, so he extends. He's explaining that your salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. It's in his name, his power, his hope. And he takes him, notice, by the right hand, raised him up. At once his feet and ankles became strong. And his life is changed. He reaches out. What I have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise and walk Peter. And he reaches out his hand. And the beggar looks at him. And I think at that moment. Can you imagine Peter at that moment? Do you think there might have been a flash in Peter's mind? What if nothing happens right now? But he's so filled with the Holy Spirit. He knew God was speaking. And do you think that the lame man thought, what does this guy want to do? But immediately, something of faith is born in his own life, and he reaches up. And these men take hands, and the power of God changes his life. Wow. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. What do you think that felt like? He's never been able to walk in his entire life. He's 40 years old. Nobody even taught him how to walk. All of a sudden, he feels strength come into his legs. Strength come into his ankles. Vibrancy. And he stands up erect. I think, do you think he tottered a little bit? How do I walk? He It didn't take him long. The God that healed him taught him to walk immediately. And he begins to walk and leap and praising God, can you imagine what that was like? What do you think he felt like immediately inside of his life? Wow. It says at once, immediately, it says, his feet and ankles became strong. When Jesus comes into your life, he immediately changes you and you're born again. And it's a new life in you. Amen? He jumped and he stood and he walked. Do you think he might have thought, man, I've got to run home and show mom and dad. I've got to run home and tell my brothers and sisters. I've got to run. No, he said, the first thing I want to do is I want to walk in there inside this temple and worship Almighty God. And he begins to leap and praise and worship God Almighty inside the temple. Wow. That's the lame man's transformation. He's experienced something more in his life. He expected something from the disciples, but God gave him something more in his life. The disciples, rather than just give the man what he expected, they expressed and gave him, extended something more to the man. And the man, once he's been healed, is expressing something more in his own worship of Almighty God. It is an amazing and beautiful story about how God can change all of us. He once was far away, but now has been brought near. The partition wall has been knocked down, and he has access into the very presence of God to worship him. Hallelujah. The disciples gave something more. The man experienced something more. Than just alms. I want to talk to you for just a few minutes and we'll be done. The world can give alms. Listen to me. But we've got more to give. The power of Jesus is in the gospel message that we've been given. And the disciples, they they gave more and they expected more because the disciples had experienced that something more in their own life. And they could give because they had received. Why do people not give? Why do we not witness? Why do we not evangelize? Why do we not express our worship more passionately? Maybe we've never received him. Maybe. You can't give what you don't have. We have low expectations so often in our ministry. And low expectations in our own lives. And often I think we don't give more because we still have our focus and our attention on our own brokenness. And our eyes are on our brokenness, our lameness, our inability. And for some people, their eyes, they're still victims. And it's still all about their own neediness. And so they still need to be carried. They still need to be cared for. They still need people to feel sorry for them. They're victims in this life of hurts and unfairness. So they desire other people to give to them all the time. And they have nothing to give because they're a victim. And so their life is spent manipulating other people to help poor me because I've been injured. I'm to be pitied. I didn't have some things that other people have, so I'm a victim. I didn't have a good home. I didn't have a father. I had a mother that abandoned me. I, 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 I didn't have fine education. I didn't live in a nice side of the tracks. I didn't have money and wealth. I didn't get the education other people did. And we can be, be these victims. This happened to me, so I'm a victim. And I can never get over it. I'm telling you, with Jesus Christ, this lame man had been a victim for 40 years, but Jesus changed his life. And when you come to know Jesus Christ, He lifts you up out of victim of, and He makes you a son, and He makes you a daughter. And now I can be strong, and now I can be alive, and now I can live, no matter what happened the first 40 years of my life, I can live for God and be different. Isn't that amazing? I am strong. I am healed. I am whole. I am blessed. I am victorious and not a victim. I'm alive and born again. I'm a child of the king. And I got something to give others. Because he's given so much to me. I'm free to serve and I can give. Because of what God has done in my life. Finally. Finally. The people's observation and awe. They recognized he was the one who used to sit in bed at the beautiful gate, beg at the beautiful gate. And they were filled with awe and astonishment at what happened to him. Hey, did you see that guy? You see that? What's all that commotion of it? Do you see that guy? Do you see that dude? Doesn't he look just like the guy outside? He does. Does he have a brother? Man, that's him. You're kidding. I just saw him. That's him. He's been changed. Who did that? How did it happen? God did it. In the name of Jesus. Wow. And they were filled with awe. And a large crowd of people gathered. And Peter took the word of God and preached Jesus to them. We're going to talk about that next week. And lives were changed. You know something? When Jesus changes a life and it's really changed, all of their friends and family, the people in their world, notice that life is different. Amen? Let's tell others About how Jesus has changed our life. Amen. Who do you identify in this story? Maybe you feel like the lame man. You're paralyzed in your sin and you feel like a victim and you feel like nobody cares for you and you can't save yourself and everything you do fails. I want to tell you the good news today is look at Jesus, he'll change your life. Maybe today that you feel like you're one of the apostles. And that God has changed you and you can't wait to tell other people about him. Amen. Maybe today you feel like somebody just passes by and throwing coins in a bucket rather than giving people what they really need. Maybe God's speaking to you and saying it's time to quit being an alms giver and start being a Jesus giver in this world. Let the Lord have his way in your life. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. It's powerful. It's true. It's... Father, I pray that today that this simple message and story would speak to our own hearts. And Father, that we would respond in believing and trusting and surrendering our lives to you. Lord, have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen.